welcome to another episode of the podcast, DBSG, our Discipleship Bible Study Group, where we look at the Word of God, the Bible, pick it apart, and look at it through a perspective of many angles, including technology, science, as well as a little bit of astronomy to decipher what it is that we as Christians are supposed to do with our daily lives. I'm one of your hosts, Brother Rob. Uh, please welcome our other host, Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, hello, hello out there. And of course, our favorite guest host, uh, Sister Michelle. Say hello, Sister Michelle. Hello, everyone. And today, with every episode that we do, we always explore a topic that's either current in the news or a topic that is specific to something that we as Christians pick apart or struggle with in our daily work to work towards being the type of person and type of Christian that God would want us to be. So with that said, Brother Fred is going to expand on tonight's topic and what we'll be exploring. Brother Fred, what do we have on tap tonight? Well, what we have on tap, uh, Brother Robin, thanks for that very uh, warm welcome. Uh, we, we were on break for a little while. I think this is either our second or third lesson into this particular group of uh, lessons. We're really pushing uh, towards the Harpazal Rapture, Rapture, the Tribulation, Daniel's Timeline. And what we've been doing with this whole set of series is going to different facets to show proof to anybody that doesn't believe in the Bible as to why there are real world events occurring, whether it be on this planet, whether it be in second heaven, which is outer space. And of course, third heaven is heaven, heaven. And Jesus gave us really a lot of, I wouldn't call them breadcrumbs. I would call them boulders. <laughs> as to what's going to be occurring in the last days of man up until his arrival. So we're going to push further down those railroad tracks tonight by talking about the birth pains. And the birth pains, uh, it talks about it in great depth in Revelations, but there's a particular scripture uh, from what Jesus said when he was asked about, you know, what's going to be happening in the last days. And in Mark, 1318, the King James Version, uh, it says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. And I'm like, wow, when you read that, you don't think this is going to be the beginning. If these things, I mean, these things sound horrible. And, you, and Jesus is telling us, wait a minute now, that's only the beginning. And what we're going to do tonight, listener, DBSG family, we're going to break it down first talking about nation against nation. Then we're going to talk about kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in diverse places. And then we're going to finish it off talking about famines and other troubles. We're going to break each one down. We're going to give you, listener, very in-depth, real-world situations that are occurring right now today to show you that what Jesus is talking about in this scripture is happening even as we speak. So what we always tell you to DBSG, you don't have to believe a word of what we're telling you. You can go and research it for yourself. Everything that I researched is things that have happened in the world, not things that are going to happen, things that are happening already. They're already historical proof 
that these things have happened, even if it's just something that happened just a few days ago. And there's a lot of things going on in the world. So DPSG family, before I get going, question for you both, because there's always been wars, there's always been famines, there's always been nation against nation. Why do you think I feel, based on my studies, that these are different than what has occurred throughout the history of man? Are we truly in the last days of man, in your opinion? Uh, well, I'll take it first. Um, the reason why, why I feel you feel we're in the last days is because often your analysis includes uh, science, technology, and astronomy. And you sometimes see evidence of what we're referring to as end of days when looking at an event through that perspective. Um, do I personally believe it's happening? Uh, I wouldn't say no, but I'm one of those probably I'm like those people in the Bible that are the last ones to believe something and then turn around and, you know, it's in my face before I believe it. And I look foolish. But the uh, what I've found is that, you know, there are a lot of people who have, you know, made, you know, convincing cases for an event to be an evidence of something related to uh, end of days symbol. And but then you don't really see anything after that. And so, you know, it's, it's with me, I've seen that enough times where, you know, I kind of don't, I take every end of days prediction with a grain of salt. Um, because at the end of the day, I guess the scripture I rely on is that, you know, we were told that we would not know when it would occur. You know, we would just get symbols, basically. So, um, you know, you can never rule anything out, you know, but I'm one of those foolish biblical figures who's the one sitting there like, nope, I don't think it is. And then the, the next minute it's happening. So, you know, hopefully, uh, but, you know, I'm interested in seeing what um, our discussion leads to tonight to, uh, you know, see if you know, my opinion may be swayed. Amen. And I, I respect your honesty. And there's a lot of churches who really don't even talk about revelations. They don't talk about Ezekiel. Um, they don't delve. Um, they, they delve into the Gospels, but not from the standpoint of, you know, ushering in Jesus's return. They use it simply as, you know, this is the guide, if you will, a very good one, uh, as to how to live your life. I mean, after all, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. So it, it, it's a manuscript detailed of how we should live by uh, following the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, and how he lived and how he did things. So thank you. I appreciate well, your candidacy on that. It's a, it's a challenging thing, though, too, because sometimes and this probably sounds snobbish, but I'm going to say it, that, you know, I think it depends on, you know, the type of, you know, educational background you have with the person that's preaching the word, you know, in the churches. You know, some of them don't have the educational background to bring in science or astronomy or technology into their assessment of things. And to be honest, I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor to do that. You know, so as a result, you know, there could be things that are, that would be more apparent if you put those lenses on your and your analysis of what is being said in the Bible. Whereas if you don't really have that background to even apply that, then, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to bring that to 
your discussion and your sermon about what it is that's in Revelation. So, Sister Michelle, your turn. What do you think about uh, what's going on in the world, the relevance of it as far as it being a indicator that we are in the last days of man? Uh, you know, we, we used to hear our matriarchs and patriarchs say it. You know, we're in the last days, granddaughter, grandson. And we would say, yeah, 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 out of respect. Mm. But, you know, did we really believe it uh, uh, then and now? So what, what do you think? Well, I can actually say as a young adult, I heard it a lot. <laughs> and I do mean a lot, you know, from single digit years. And I often, every time I've heard an older adult mention it, I've often thought to myself, okay, I keep hearing them say this, but I haven't seen any real evidence of it. Besides, wars have been going on forever. Famine has been going on forever in my lifespan. I'm only speaking of that time frame, but in what history has shown us. But as far as the book of Revelation goes, I can honestly say a lot of what it says I see daily. But I also agree with Brother Rob. We do not know the day nor the hour of Jesus' return. But what I can say is that what I see around more what I hear about more it makes me feel like we are truly there because the the downfall is constant destruction and that's what we see we see more of things that's unpleasant than things that truly are pleasant and when we really think about what is pleasant, the only thing that I can come up with, you know, I might have a great day, but why is my day great? My day is great because of God's grace. So I encounter more negativity, but God's grace gives me the strength and the will to go through that negativity unharmed. So I do believe that we are you know, closer and closer to end times. It may not be in our lifetime. You know, we just don't ever know. So for us to not have that million dollar question of not knowing the, ex the exact time, I believe that we just have to live our lives how God would want us to live our lives. So if that time just so happens to be tomorrow, then we'll be glad that we were doing what we needed to do today. Amen. Amen. It says in the Bible that the generation shall not pass after Israel basically became a nation again. One generation shall not pass uh, before man, you know, we will see the you know the second coming of Christ. So if you take the time period from when they became a nation, I believe it was in 1947, you add 80 years to that, which is a generation 
we're right up against that time period right now. You're talking about anywhere from 2025 to 2029. Um, I want to show you guys some amazing things. So let's get started. And listener, you may have your own ideas or own perceptions and beliefs of, you know, we just heard two very good ones. Mine has always been sort of in the middle as well. Um, but the more research I do, the more praying, the more I learn about the word, I'm, <laughs> I'm pushing very quickly to the other side because the bubble has to break. And what I'm going to do with you guys, read it one mm -hmm. more time, Mark 13, 8, this is King James Version, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrow. And this is from Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ himself. So starting out with the first one, nation against nation. Na nation is uh, ethnos in Hebrew, uh, defined as a race that is a tribe, specifically a foreign, non-Jewish one, usually by implication, pagan. In other words, a Gentile nation. We have two right the back that I'm sure you asked nine people out of 10 right now, it's the Russia invading Ukraine war that's occurring right now. So nation against nation would be Russia invading Ukraine. And I took, there's, you know, the website I got this from, there's a lot of information here. I took the top ones that I thought were pretty uh, interesting. Uh, it, you know, the invasion officially began in February 24th, 2022. Uh, it's considered a war of aggression and is the largest military assault on the European state since World War II. Uh, Russia-Ukraine war has caused the largest refugee crisis in Europe since the Second World War with over 3.4 million Ukrainians fleeing the country. And I was curious. I said, I wanted to know how big is Ukraine in uh, contrast to Russia? Ukraine population is roughly 41,362,000 and change. Russia is 146,171,000 and change. In contrast to the U.S., which is around 350 million. So Russia is about half the size of us in population. And Russia is around three to four times larger than Ukraine as far as population. So it would almost appear that Russia is the bully <laughs> on the playground, uh, causing strife for many reasons. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is actually a major escalation of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict that started back in 2014. And I'm sure most people don't even remember that because that was, compared to now, a really small blip on the radar. But since 2014, the conflict between Ukraine and Russia has damaged more than 700 schools, 130 medical centers, and uh, breaches and ceasefires has um, endangered more than two, two, 2 million children. I read it wrong, 2 million children. The ongoing Russian-Ukraine conflict has killed more than 10,000 people and has wounded at least 23,000. And those numbers are very small. But it's not that which is causing a lot of major conflict in the world. And I'm not minimizing what the people of Ukraine are going through. It's horrible. And I do feel there is enough 
evidence that we've seen on live television that Putin has committed war crimes. And personally, I feel he should be charged at the Hague with war crimes in the, at the war crime tribunal. In your two opinions, why do you feel, or either one who wants to answer, why do you feel that he hasn't been charged? There's been a lot of evidence in the last, you know, seven, eight, 10, 15, 20 years of atrocities Putin has committed all over <clears throat> uh, Europe. And they're, they're almost, he's almost untouchable. Why, why do you think that's the case? I think he, Russia is treated as being untouchable. I think part of it is, well, I don't think part of it, I think the big factor is, you know, the oil that they uh, possess and the influence that oil has on the um, larger economic market. Uh, overall, I feel basically the only people who ever go to the Hague are the ones who have lost the war and who are completely without influence in terms of um, being able to protect protect themselves from being prosecuted. I do agree with you. I think that he should be prosecuted for, you know, you know, war crimes, um, because what's going on in Ukraine should not be happening at all. And you know, there's no real, there's no real reason why Ukraine is even a center of war of aggression right now. You know, it's pure ego. Is there is no valid reason for Russia trying to take over Ukraine other than simply trying to be bigger and trying to reclaim the power that it once had in terms of Ukraine being one of its Soviet republics, you know, up until about 70 years ago. So, uh, but I think it, it has to do with the influence that he has. Um, I don't know if that changes as he becomes more sick and, and ill. Uh, if he does, I think maybe once he's removed from power by the inner influences of Russia, then it would not surprise me if there was a Hague war crime tribunal held that focused on him. But as long as he's the, he's the and I forgot what his title is. I, I think is he because he always switches it. It used to be he used to be the president of Russia. Is then he was the prime minister or vice versa. I think he's the president of Russia. I forget what his specific title is because he holds all of them. But um, the ba the basic idea, as long as he's in power in Russia, they're not going to touch him. What do you think, Sister Michelle? Is there a reason why you feel we haven't charged him? The world at large has charged him with war crimes? The only way I can answer that is in order for Jesus to return, the enemy has to be upon the land, right? Amen. I'm going to leave it right there. And we're going to go into that as to why he is still in power uh, later on in the lesson. It's a specific reason why God has allowed him to stay in power. Um, what's interesting is they have met, Germany and Spain have met, I believe, back in March or April to review uh, some of the evidence that's been put before them. And basically, you know, <laughs> Putin and, and his cronies have reacted by trying to punish Germany. There are two pipelines that run from Russia into Germany. One of them is still being certified, but they won't do it. They just finished it, but they refused to certify because of the war and Germany speaking out against the war. And the 
first one, which is the larger of the two, they continue to punish uh, Germany by slowly turning down the amount <laughs> of product is flowing through those pipelines or is flowing through those pipelines. So I think they're down to about 20% is what I what I read. You can see here on the screen, it says about 20%. So they're continuing to use every excuse and they're basically saying Germany is lying on them. So we're going to punish you by continuing to reduce the flow of product that's going through this pipeline. So that's probably one of the biggest examples right now of nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom is something a little bit different. Um, kingdom against kingdom, uh, Hebrew, Basilia, which is uh, the definition, prop properly royalty that is abstractly ruled or concretely a realm, whether it be literal or figuratively. So you're talking about a monarchy, basically, type of situation. Israel, is a kingdom and some of the other Middle Eastern countries in that area are kingdoms as well. So that's why they're not put into the category of, and, and Jesus did make that distinction of saying nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, because I feel he wanted us to know that there was a difference, be able to discern the difference and how both eventually are gonna merge into the same war uh, Gog, Magog, uh, and that'll probably eventually wow. escalate into World War III. Uh, there's supposed to be a smaller war that's going to occur first. I believe that smaller war, and I can't remember what um, book of the Bible talks about that one, but I believe that Israel is going to instigate that one by sooner or later um, going in and, and defending themselves before they can be attacked. Uh, that one's going to end very quickly. And then the Gog-Magog War is going to kick off. And I'm going to go into that in great detail, what the Gog-Magog War is. So I have wrote down some information here as to why um, Israel is a, what they call United Monarchy and some of the other countries around that area uh, too. The modern day kingdoms that despise Israel, Egypt, Syria, Iran, Jordan, and Turkey. And out of this whole list, the only one that's kind of neutral right now is Egypt. <laughs> the other ones are, you know, really been having some things going on with uh, Israel. So let's start going into some of these kingdoms and why they are a major threat to Israel. Uh, Sister Michelle, can you read uh, the first and the second one, Egypt and Syria? Okay. Egypt. Egypt was a leading, leading nation that fought against Israel in all of her past wars in 1948, 1967, and 1973. Syria is a constant danger for Israel, continuing to demand the return of the Golan Heights, which Israel captured in 1967. Syria used this high ground to launch missiles, missile attacks on Israel communities in the valleys below. 
fanatical Islam has strong roots, especially in southern Syria near the Israeli border. And if you know anything about defensive tactics and positions, you know, if you really want to give somebody a hard time, you take the high ground. And since the Golan Heights sort of overlooks a great portion of Israel, most countries that have been given Israel the most conflict, because they are very, they're, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. It's not a very big country. A lot of the countries that surround her are much larger than her. And I just read, but she's a very feisty country. And of course, being God's chosen for a certain task that they're going to be completing, uh, I got a feeling soon, <laughs> um, he's going to make sure that they stay on the map. But whoever controls the Golan Heights definitely has a strong military tactical advantage over Israel. And they actually got it back, snatched it back in 1967. Brother Rob, can you read uh, uh, read Iran first? And I want to mention a few things about Iran, and then we'll we'll go on from there. Okay, um, Iran is the greatest threat Israel currently faces. The radical Shiite theocracy has ruled the country since the revolution in 1979. is dedicated to Israel's utter destruction. Under their fanatical president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Iran has been on a fast track to produce nuclear capabilities while promising to wipe Israel off the map. Iran finances and trains Hamas and Hezbollah terrorists, equipping them with arms to use against Israel. Um, I just want to note that the president is no longer president of Iran in, anymore. Right. And I was going to make note of that, too. This article is um, a little dated. Um, not only is he not president, another thing has occurred. Um, from what I've learned, they back last uh, summer, they were close to enriching enough plutonium to get their first um, atomic bomb. Now, to date, I heard they have about five of them. They have enough to start a skirmish with Israel. What kept them slowed down tremendously was when Benjamin Netanyahu was in office. And he was, uh, for, for all those who are listening, don't know his military background. Benjamin Netanyahu was former, I don't know if you can call anybody at his level former anything, because at, you know he was former special forces for Israel, Sayuret, Mikal, which is their version of Delta Force. And I think he and Putin had like a gentleman's agreement because Putin is KGB. Once again, you can't really say former because once you're in those elite groups, you're always part of those elite groups to some degree. And I think they had an unspoken gentleman's discussion, you know, handshake, if you will, which, you know, Iran was stockpiling weapons in Syria because that's the closest uh, area, land area to Israel, that once they got enough weaponry stockpiled, they can easily pass over the border and start things with Israel. So what Netanyahu used to do under the radar, because you didn't hear about this on the six o'clock news, world news, he used to go in and secretly bomb some of the Iranian plants that were trying to enrich uranium, uranium and stockpile other weapons of mass destruction 
that they were that he felt was going to be used against his country. Now, with him being politically removed from office, with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, the game has tremendously changed because when they invaded Ukraine, the current prime minister, well, not the current one, because they just switched prime ministers in July. Uh, the one preceding this, the one in July, he was only in office for about a year. He spoke out against the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and Russia didn't like it. So they now have, uh, from what I've heard, about five atomic bombs that can be used and they plan on using them against Israel. They're not concerned about us right now. They're not concerned about China. They're not concerned about anybody else. Their main goal is to wipe Israel off the map. They feel that they're not being good believers in their faith unless they're destroying Israel. And that's their solemn oath to their faith is to destroy Israel. I'll read Jordan. Jordan shares the longest border with Israel. The Hashemite kingdom also shares the experience of suffering numerous terrorist attacks through its history. Because of Jordan's close proximity and the length of their shared border, continued good relations between Israel and Jordan are vital to Israel's security. A breakdown of the current peace would be horrific. And there is going to be a breakdown. That breakdown is going to lead into the Gog-Magog war. And we're going to talk about what that really is a little, little later on here. Um, Brother Ra, read about Turkey. <clears throat> Turkey is now being watched closely. At the pinnacle of its power, the Ottoman Turks ruled over territory from Europe to Asia to North Africa. Turkey has increasingly yielded to the growing influence of Islamic fundamentalism, a growing anti-Israel attitude, and has been a major player in the aid flotillas that have attempted to break the arms embargo on Gaza. Some speculate that Turkey will soon emerge as the leader of the revised Islamic empire. What we can say with certainty is that Turkey is poses, excuse me, poses a growing threat to Israel as they move closer towards Muslim domination and Sharia law. Thank you. And as far as the Gog-Magog war, Gog means the leader of Magog. That's what Gog means. Magog means um, Prince of, I think Prince of Rosh. Rosh is an old school name for Russia. So Gog Magog basically means the leader of Russia is going to lead a, lead a war against Israel. And you may say, well, okay, why does Russia care about Israel? They don't really care about them because, you know, when Putin let Netanyahu fly in and bomb an ally of his, which is Iran in Syria, which is another ally, he ain't even bat an eye. He didn't care. He doesn't care about a lot of the Middle East back and forth. You fight to them. They're all about to him. They're all a bunch of idiots. So he don't really care. He only cares about what he wants for Mother Russia. But here's what's interesting. What's going to get Russia involved is two things. One, in the Golan Heights, Israel just found one of the largest 
largest land area of natural oil. They said that the oil they found there just recently makes what the Saudis have look like a summer picnic. And the second thing is off the coast of Israel, I think I think I read they have they found like 14 is either million or trillion cubic <laughs> feet of natural gas. And if you look at what's happening with the sanctions against uh, Putin, whether it be imposed by the world or him just trying to punish places like Germany by not selling them anything because they're speaking out against him. He's going to want to get his hands on that because what's going to happen is Israel is going to come to the world and say, hey, I can help you out here. You don't need Russia. I'll help you. And Putin ain't going to have that. So that alone is going to get him in the war. It's the spoils of war that's going to get his interest and he's going to get his country into it. And that's your Gog Magog war. So all these players we just mentioned, maybe another country or two. And the, the big one being Israel is your Gog-Magog war. Either the first war, which happens before the Gog-Magog war, or I think I believe it's the Gog-Magog war. It has to be the Gog-Magog war. is going to be ended abruptly by a major earthquake. And if you know anything about earthquakes in certain lands in the world, Russia has the biggest and the most earthquakes in the entire world. So that kind of makes sense. If they're at war with Israel in this Gog Magog war, and they have several massive earthquakes to pull them out of the war. That is a game changer for uh, Israel. She's still going to be hurting. There's still some horrific things that are going to happen, but she's going to be spared most of her damage because of that. And that's that's in Revelation. Once again, you don't have to uh, take my word for it. Go and look it up for yourself. There's some pretty interesting things. So moving on down the list, earthquakes in diverse various places. And I actually had to look up what diverse means. I didn't know what diverse means. I, you know, diverse means various. And you may say, well, what's the significance of diverse places? Why didn't Jesus just say there'll be earthquake in places all over the globe? There'll be, earth, there'll be earthquakes in places. He said diverse places. Diverse implies not normally where they would be. Normally, earthquakes occur at the edge of the Teutonic plate shifts. So two uh, plates shift upon each other, and that causes you know, the great earthquakes. Most of those throughout the world we know about. One of the biggest ones in America is the San Andreas Fault. There's another one, I believe, that runs through the Tennessee of Kentucky that they never talk about. That was supposed to be bigger than even the San Andreas Fault. But the point I'm trying to make is if you sit on the fault line then a lot of those states like in the U.S. or countries overseas, wherever, make some sort of preparation for the people to protect the people, uh, to get them moved out, to get them the assistance that they need should an earthquake occur. But what has been occurring since the 15th century forward is diverse places, meaning that these earthquakes are now occurring in the middle of these Teutonic plates in places that people, scientists even today, never thought because it doesn't make any sense as to why they're occurring, not at the edge of the plates, but in other parts of it. It doesn't make any sense scientifically. And I can go into reasons why I feel it's occurring. And I think we cover that in other 
subjects when we were talking about other Bible studies, we were talking about what's happening in second heaven, celestial bodies that's affecting our planet. And I do believe some of that is uh, uh, probably attributed to some of those celestial bodies. Um, researchers found that intra intraplate earthquakes, which occur in the middle, instead of at the borders of tectonic plates are influenced by convection or heat driven movements or the molten mantle beneath the planet's cold solid crust. Uh, although intraplate quakes make up a small percentage of overall earthquakes, 98% of earthquakes occur at the boundaries of the tectonic plates. These uh, intraplate quakes have been recorded at strengths up to a magnitude of 7.0 and can be amongst the most disastrous um, tremors because they are unexpected. You can't really prepare for them. They happen out of nowhere. You can't, there's no real, you know, you don't see anything happening. Uh, in the 15th century, there were only two of those. 16th century, three. 17th century, seven. 18th century, 13. 19th century, 29. 20th century, 123. So as time goes on, we're seeing more and more of these occur. And we did do a Bible study about natural disasters. I remember that one, Brother Rob? And it was pretty compelling evidence. And when I say compelling, things that scientists are measuring or have discovered that are things that they have in journals, that they have on, on their government websites. These are not things that, you know, Bible thumpers like myself are just making up to get that ah moment going just, just, uh, just for the listeners. These are things that are documented proof that these things are occurring. So more as time goes on, as we get closer to some significant things that are occurring in the history of this country, you're seeing the rise in earthquakes. You're seeing the rise in volcanic eruptions. You're seeing more hurricanes. You're seeing more tornadoes. That's a Bible study that we did. So go find that particular study and, and listen to it. It's, it's pretty, we had, we produced some pretty compelling evidence on there. Famines and troubles. And this is something I pulled from the United Nations who were covering, uh, you know, the meetings coverage, the Security Council. And this was just in 19 May, 2022. The lack of grain exports driving global hunger to famine levels. As war in Ukraine continues, speakers warn the Security Council. From what I've learned, Russia and Ukraine um, supply about a third of grain of, of grains to the world, about a third. And that's a pretty significant amount. Russia right now has been sanctioned, so they can't sell theirs. And Ukraine, the farmers can't go out in the fields and plant and harvest because of the war. So what we're going to roll into, um, and it is always, and I, you both brought it up, Sister, uh, Sister Michelle and Brother Rob, that there's always been famine throughout the planet, throughout the history of man. There always has been. I feel this is one in, on a precedented scale uh, for two reasons. One is occurring after the um, Israel becoming a nation. And the Bible says after they become a nation, these things occurring is, is basically what we read at the beginning scripture, these are signs, these are birth pains. And if you know anything about birth pains, and I know Sister Michelle does, Brother Rob and I don't, but Sister Michelle know about birth pains because she has two beautiful children. 
they start small and they get bigger and harder and bigger and harder. Am I right, sis? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> What's that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't think you were smiling through them at that point when they got bigger and <laughs> I want this baby out. <laughs> get out. Everybody out. <laughs> All right. Well, I was pretty much out of it. <laughs> 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 you kept hitting that button every time you felt a pain. <laughs> hit that button, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, Sister Michelle, start reading what the Russian Federation uh, is talking about here. All right, hold on, give me glasses. Okay, Let's see, Russian Federation delegates. United States claim that his country is holding world hostage with blockades of Ukraine's ports. A Stop global right Okay. How can Russia say that's not true when one of the first thing they did when they started the invasion was go to some of those bigger ports and immediately, immediately took them over? Because one, one of the sweet spots of Ukraine they have a lot of deep water ports that Russia doesn't have. Because if you look at the country of Russia, most of Russia is surrounded by land, by other countries. They don't have that many deep water ports, which has always affected their trade. So by taking control of many or you know quite a few deep water ports in Ukraine, that gave them the ability to control the flow of, of traffic in and out of that port. So, and first lie, Russia. Sorry, we're not buying it. <laughs> Go ahead, Sister Michelle. Okay. A global food crisis already impacted by COVID-19 pandemic and the climate change is being driven to famine levels worldwide by the war in Ukraine and the resulting lack of grain exports more than 75 speakers told Security Council today in a ministerial level open debate on conflict and food security. All right, stop there. And once again, listener, this article from the UN was just uh, put out in 19 May, 2022. So just a few months ago. So this is not something that they were talking about two years ago when the pandemic first hit, two and a half years ago. This is something that they're talking about now. Um, last week, we were talking about um, the monetary flow of what's happening in the world and how certain groups are trying to control that. And one of the things they've done in this country to add to the oncoming famines that's going to occur is a lot of the weather is so bad that farmers, that the land can't support crop growing in our country as well as it did before. So a lot, and plus with gas prices going up, right? With you not being able to get certain pieces of equipment in that they need or repair parts in that they need, farmers in America are actually losing money. And we went over that last week. You know, our government is paying billions of dollars to farmers to subsidize them for not planting crops or the crops that they did plant that may be substandard to just burn them off and not, not sell them. So it's cheaper. They actually lose money. Most farmers today lose money 
if they try to um, plant and harvest and sell crops. So they choose not to, and they get subsidized by our government. Go ahead, Sister Michelle. Okay. David Beasley, executive director of the World Food Program stated, when a nation that is in the breadbasket of the world becomes a nation with the longest bread line of the world, we know we have a problem. Even before the, U the Ukraine crisis struck, the world was already facing a unprecedented perfect storm because of conflict, climate, climate change, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the course of several years, the number of people marching to starvation has ballooned from 80 million to 323 million with 49 million at risk of famine in 43 countries, he said. When a country like Ukraine, which is provided, which provides food for 400 million people is out of the market, it creates market mortality, he continued. The United Nations is trying to reach people inside Ukraine but that does not solve the problem outside that country, he pointed out, stressing the needs to get ports running. With 36 countries importing more than 50% of their grain from that region, failure to open the ports in the Odessa region is a declaration of war on global food security, he warned, and will result in famines, destabilization and mass migration around the world. And this is coming from, you know, like, like we mentioned before, from the United Nations. This is not a news agency that just, you know, interviewed a few people and put together a few facts. This is delegates from uh, more than 75 countries that spoke to the Security Council and told them, hey, we, we're on the verge of something major happening here. And if you look at famine in the past, in the throughout the history of mankind, it was never global. It was always in one specific area or one specific country. Never before in the history of man have we had global famine ever. This will be the first time. And I don't think it's going to lighten up because with there being wars and rumors of wars, in my opinion, it's only gonna get worse. It's only gonna get worse. You know, looking at, and we did another lesson talking about what's happening on this planet with the ozone layer being affected and, um, you know, how that's changing everything and impacting everything. More than a 2% increase in the ozone layer affects this whole planet. Um, Never has there been, what was that, last summer, there was more, over 120 degree, temp, was it 110, 115 in Seattle? A place that had never, ever seen that type of temperature before. And people were dying up there. That was amazing. Uh, there was just a heat, giant heat wave that went throughout the entire U.S. this summer. So there's definitely something that is occurring that is not even close to being over. It's, it's going to have a ripple effect that's going to continue to um, 
uh, affect us. Uh, Brother Rob, re read the next paragraph about American farmers, if you will. American farmers, you know, especially uh, small farms, are pummeled from every side. A trade war, severe weather associated with climate change, tanking commodity prices related to globalization, political polarization, and corporate farming defined not by a silo in a red barn, but by technology and the efficiencies of scale. It is the worst crisis in decades. Chapter 12, farm bankruptcies were up 12% in the Midwest from July of 2018 to <clears throat> June of 2019. They're up 50% in the Northwest. Tens of thousands have simply stopped farming, knowing that reorganization through bankruptcy won't save them. The nation lost more than 100,000 farms between 2011 and 2018. 12,000 of those were between 2017 and 2018 alone. And that's an article by Alana uh, Simuels uh, in Time Magazine. So we're not, you know, we're not talking about a rinky dink magazine. We talk about a magazine that has a lot of pool. So that, that was, I find that article to be very, you know, close to home. Um, China and COVID, and we're still talking about listener famines and trouble. So this is probably goes under trouble, even though there's some effects in China. Uh, China and COVID, there's a lot going on with China and COVID, China and, um, you know, the problems that they're trying to uh, start uh, right now with um, Asia, Taiwan, yes, China and Taiwan. One interesting thing about China and COVID, China makes a lot of our products. We buy a lot of <laughs> companies started. I don't know. Find it cheaper to go to places like China and get our products made. So when China enacted their zero COVID restrictions that had a large ripple effect on the entire world because all of a sudden nothing got shipped out. Nothing was made, nothing was shipped out. We saw that in those computer chips for cars. We see it in other products and it has affected the entire globe, not just America, but any country that they were shipping to. So, and I think those ripple effects are, are gonna be around for quite some time. Uh, the pandemic has revealed how lean the supply chain has become. Listen, I have never seen bare shelves before as much as I've seen bare shelves now. I know a lot of that has to do with, you know, shipping giants like, <laughs> you know, that we these shipping giants and everybody's doing everything online because of the pandemic. But, you know, gas prices being almost doubled. It take I know somebody who ordered a uh, what's that Elon Musk car called? What what's the big car he has out? Is everybody wants what, the Tesla? Tesla, yes, thank you. The Tesla ordered it, and it's not going to be in for almost a year. When have you ever heard of somebody getting a car that? And the Tesla is a fancy car. I get it, Mister Musk is beautiful. Uh, the technology. But uh, yeah, you have to put an asterisk on that because they they're known for having a waiting list for their cars. So every is is that's just Tesla, and they just need to Elon Musk needs to grace us with his genius, and 
find a way to make more car, cars quickly. <laughs> That's all that is. Well, he, he's, he's more concerned about space than making cars, right? That's exactly why there's a late waiting list for the cars now. And he's laying off some employees at that same company, by the way. Wow. So that waiting list is going to be longer. My brother-in-law works at uh, Toyota. He's he's a um, he sells cars at Toyota. He's one of the top salesmen. He's been there for a long time. He's very good at what he does. And he said that there are pricing buying wars at these dealerships all over because people want cars so badly that they're offering you know four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars cash over the selling price to outbid <laughs> someone else trying to get that car. It's amazing. I don't never seen anything like that ever. The housing yeah, market. Actually, that goes back to the microchip issue that you were mentioning before where, you know, a lot of these cars, well, I think every car now is designed based on a microchip. And because they can't make more of those because of what's going on with China, that that's where we're seeing the um, the bidding wars with cars. And you're right, they're going up at least like six, seven thousand dollars. Even these old cars that you would never see those type of prices, they're holding their value <laughs> just because there's a microchip in it. So it's a pretty interesting thing to say. Amen, amen. And I just got a new car back in October, listener, and I had zero bidding wars. So I'm telling you, listener, the power of prayer works. Because the way I got my car, I shouldn't have gotten it. I can't waste time to tell you about it. But I had zero competitors for the car I got. And it's a nice car. So the power of prayer does work. And it's just all about timing as to how I got mine. But but God still worked that uh, miracle for me. Um, China versus Taiwan. That is brewing up even as we speak. Uh, really, they, they scrabbled their military and they started flexing their muscles big time over her visiting because they feel it's going to affect um, them being able to go and push up on Taiwan, which is another scrappy country that they wouldn't, you know, even though with her might, China wouldn't have an easy match trying to go in and take out Taiwan. But um, that's that's not a pretty thing. It's, it's just it, it just wouldn't work out so well for us if they did go in full blast on, on Taiwan. So what they've threatened to do is, yeah, they're still flexing their muscles. Now they're saying, well, we're just going to impose tariffs on you now. Can you imagine if you're paying for a car now, a microchip in a car, because you did mention that, Brother Rob, um, and they impose a bigger tariff or a tax on that now, of uh, two, two to three percent, thirty percent, whatever, the these dealers are going to push that off onto the consumer. So car prices, if you're paying $30,000 for a car now, not only will you have to outbid the person next to you, you may have to pay an additional three to 5,000 on top of that car because of what China is gonna be doing to us. They're basically punishing us for getting involved with, in what they feel is their business. That is not a good thing. There are people who can barely pay their rent, their mortgage. They can't afford to go out and buy a new car. They can't afford to get their car repaired. Getting a car repaired, there's shops that are telling people, well, I'm sorry, your part, we can't get your part in for two or three months. So what are you going to do? <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not good. What we're seeing is not a good thing at all. Other issues, North Korea versus South, South Korea. 
that's been brewing for decades. But one significant change is now North Korea just recently has put together their first nuke. So of course, Kim is flexing his little tiny muscles because, oh, I got I got a little tiny bomb here now and I could do some damage now. So now he's running his mouth and flexing his muscles. So these are all real world problems that we're gonna have to somehow try to resolve if we can. And I already mentioned the Gog Magog War. The Gog Magog War, uh, Meshchesh and Tubal were all sons of Japheth. These are all Bible characters here who were uh, one of the three sons of Noah. Japheth and his family migrated to the area of modern day Russia. That's in Genesis 10, two through three. So once again, Gog is a person who ruled over the land of Magog. Uh, Magog means the prince of Rosh. That's what Gog means. Rosh is the old root word for the land of Russia. So 2000 years ago, when the Bible, you know, when they were speaking the gospel and they were talking about the Gog Magog war, they were talking about a country that didn't even exist at the time. And that's Russia, because they're basically talking, they, they're <laughs> describing Russia to the T. And we already answered, we asked this question earlier at the beginning. How do we know that all the aforementioned items mark the beginnings of sorrows, uh, the troubles of man? And um, listener, some of the things we just went over may have changed your perspective. If they did not, you know, we still got a little more meat uh, to throw at you. Jesus declared something else Jesus said. This is Luke 17, 26 through 27. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I did a little research surrounding that. As, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also so it will be also in the, in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man is reflecting to um, the time of his return. That's what he was talking about. So as in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days leading up to my return. That's basically what he's saying. Okay. And they ate, they drank, they married vows. In other words, the world will still be going on doing the things that we normally do now on top of everything that's occurring to us right now, as much as we can. And then the flood came. So violence then and now. Sister Michelle, go ahead and start reading this. This is pretty interesting. Okay. Consider the age we live in. There has been an alarming increase in global violence just in the past 100 years. Wars in the past 90 years killed more than killed more people than during the previous 500 years combined. An estimate 203 million people were killed by wars just in the 20th century. Between 170 and 360 million people were killed by governments in the 20th century apart from war. Recently, more civilians have been dying in armed conflicts than combats themselves, accounting for 90% of casualties since 1945. 
Just in the last decade, war has claimed the lives of an estimate 2 million children and has disabled another 4 to 5 million children. A silent form of violence is perpetuated around the world by deliberate abortions of innocents. Each year, about 44 million abortions are performed globally. Globally, the National Consortium of the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism has documented more than 125,000 violent terrorist attacks since 1970. And in wow. the days of Noah, warnings for today by Chris, Chris Moen. Moen. That's an article as in the days of Noah, warnings for today by uh, author Chris Moen. And I, I think this drives a stake home that, yeah, there have been wars and violence throughout the history of man, but we're on a precedented scale at the moment of what's happening in the world. And the Bible talks clearly about lawlessness. What you're seeing is a transition in the mind of how people think, how they look at the world. You know, people are doing egregious things, but they don't feel, I owe you an apology. I don't owe you an explanation. And if you say anything to me, then you're going to make me upset and I'm going to have to do something to you. Everybody feels they're right in whatever they're thinking. You know, and I, I mentioned that before and I was quoting Chris Rock. You can drive a car with your feet if you want to, but I don't make it a great idea. But people feel that it is a great idea if they do these things and they're standing by them and they are willing to kill you over them. What are your thoughts um, on what's happening with, you know, based on what, you, what we just read here on some of the, all these things? And I, I'm going to close out by giving you guys, listener, two nuggets that Jesus left in those two scriptures. Now, the one I just read, Luke uh, 17, I'm going to definitely go back over that one again and give you two nuggets of something that God showed me. Based on um, mainly the, the last few paragraphs that you read about the number of people that have been killed or and are killing on a precedented scale, does that shift or change your viewpoint on you know, there's definitely something going on that mankind is heading towards or is happening in the world that is unique because, yeah, we've been killing each other since, you know, Cain slew Abel. And since then, uh, the world, we've been killing on an unprecedented scale, but not like this, not like this. So what, what do you think? Well... I mean, that's all we hear about, deaths. The only, the only constant thing in life is death. That's the only thing. So we see it all around us. You know, it's not just the, the natural disasters or the people killing people or the wars. You know, it's also the deaths of natural causes too. So our death rate is going to continue to flourish, unfortunately. But what are we really doing about it? What can we really do? It, it's, it's moving fast. And it, it makes you feel like something is already here and something is coming. That's how I feel. You know, I can't speak for anybody else, so I'll just speak for me. That's how I feel. 
something is already here and something is coming. And mm. it's like whatever is going on is paving the way for the coming. Amen. Brother Rob. Mm, probably would piggyback off of that. Um, you know, I feel like there's probably several explanations for why we're seeing more wide scale death than we have in the past. But, um, you know, it certainly could be a sign of times. I think something system. Michelle touched on earlier was that, you know, we're seeing more of things than we are. It seems that things are getting worse and worse as we age. But, you know, that could also be the technology that's used to do some of the things that we're seeing, you know, just makes it easier to do. Um, we're also seeing people do things they haven't done before in terms of things that were sacred are no longer considered sacred, you know, that type of situation. So. Um, it certainly could be a sign of times. So, you know, I wouldn't totally rule it out. I did some researching that God pointed me towards. And one of the things I found out, there has been 10 patriarchs from Adam to Noah, 10 patriarchs. There has also been 10 patriarchs from Noah to Abraham. And in both of those situations, the earth changed drastically. You know, the great flood of Noah and, and Abraham's rule and reign uh, for Christ. Um, it, it's unprecedented. But another thing has occurred since 1967, when Israel got Jerusalem back, there has been 10 uh, leaders, 10 prime ministers in Israel with the last one out of nowhere taking over. Like I said, <laughs> The, the one who usurped Netanyahu was only in office for a year, which was kind of unusual for him only to be in office for a year and just abruptly saying, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm out of here. And this new one taken over in July, which makes it number 10. So that's kind of interesting. Then uh, God gave me a couple other nuggets. Remember the scripture that I read about uh, as in the days of Noah also shall be in the days of man. Well, what was happening in Noah's day and time? And I focused, God told me to push my focus somewhere else. Outside of Noah, the only other holy man on the planet at the time was Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969 years. After Methuselah died, um, seven days passed and then the flood started. So I took 969 and I threw it into the gematria. For those of you who don't know what that is, the gematria is for every uh, letter in the alphabet, there's a number affiliated with it. And that number details certain words and patterns. When I put 969 into the gematria, one of the words that came up was a Roman numeral, M-M-X-X-I-X. -X -X. And when I interpreted what that number was, 2029. 2029. So I said, okay, you got me on that one, Lord. Uh, is there anything else you want to show me? Well, the flood started, the time period was called Ziv, Z-I-V. Uh, Ziv is also known as uh, I-R, which is I-Y-A-R. Those are Hebrew words, time period. I-R is April. So April 2029. And I'm going, wait a minute, what do I know 
that's about to happen or going to occur as big in April 2029. And then it popped into my head. Apophis. Apophis. Apophis is supposed to be this big, giant, 400-meter meteor that's going to be flying by the Earth in April 13, 2029. It was brought to our attention by Thomas. There are, there's another guy who found it, but they sort of blew him off as being a, a nutcase. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I want to read a little bit about him, but they kind of downplayed him as being a nutcase. But Thomas Horn is, is, is different. Do Thomas Horn, he is a Christian. He is a pastor. He, he's a prophet. And he was the guy who came out, I think, a year to a year and a half before the Pope resigned and went on to many different religious programs and was telling them he had a dream and he explained what happened in the dream. And what the dream meant was that the Pope was going to resign. And of course, everybody was laughing at this guy and calling him crazy and he's a nutcase, you know, what he was talking about and blah, blah, blah. And I think that year and a half later, the Pope did resign. And now he had, you know, now people are looking at him like, oh, okay, but the date you got is wrong because he resigned on one day and the date that Thomas Horn gave was about a month, month and a half before the Pope actually resigned. But when they went back and looked at it, what they found out is the date that Thomas Horn gave was the date that the Pope actually submitted his resignation. It wasn't accepted by their leadership until a month, month and a half later when the rest of the world found out about it. So now CNN, all these other programs want to interview him and find out, how did you know this? And he said, God showed it to me in my dreams. Then he had another dream where he was on this hill and people were running for their lives. And he looked up to heaven and heaven opened, I think took him but there was rocks coming in and he woke up in a cold sweat because it was people running, screaming for their lives. And then this word God put into his head, Apophis, appeared. So he didn't know what Apophis was. So he reached out to a NASA scientist and said, hey, is there something going on in space called Apophis? And the scientist said, it's funny that you said that because there is. And they, called, they thought it was cute to give it the name Apophis. It's a 400-yard uh, meter, which is like uh, four football fields in length. It's probably, I don't know, 25 tons, 25,000 tons. It's, it's huge. It's massive. And it's, it's in orbit with the Earth, and it passes us every seven years, six or seven years. The closest it will come to us is going to be on April 13, 2029. On April 13, 2029, I'm going to show you, listener, how exactly how close it's going to be. So what I want you guys to do, uh, Brother Rob, you have your computer? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, listener, play along with Brother Rob here. You're going to put in uh, C-N-E-O-S, C-N-E-O-S. And that's the Center for Near-Earth Objects. And once you do that, this screen should pop up. So if you type in CNEOS, it's going to come up with this. 
And then next, you're going to go to Close Approaches. That's one of the tabs. Listeners, the third tab over called Close Approaches. Go to NEOs. Click on that. You're going to go down to the table settings. Change the near future within 60 days to future only. Right below that, distance units is AU. AU stands for astronomical units, which basically is the difference from us to the sun. That's too big. I want you to change it to miles or LD. Change it to miles, MI miles. And then on the search bar, right above the graph, type in a POFIS. Oh, it comes up as a A-P-O-P-H-I-S. There it is. And the very first, the, the next, the, the, the passings, they call it the close approach date, are in uh, time order. The very next passing, and this 2004 was when it was first found. And its next passing is April 13th, 2029. So from the information that God gave me about Methuselah, from the Gematria to when the actual day the flood started, it's basically April 2029 is what it's pointing towards. And Apophis, when it passes the Earth, is going to be 23,619 miles from the surface of this planet. And while that may sound like a lot of miles, what you're talking about, listener, is mid-Earth orbit where they have thousands of satellites at. Now, you listen to some of these physicists, astrophysicists that work for the government, which is NASA. Most of them are not going to tell you the real truth. They say, oh, it's going to fly right past us and not going to affect us. But I did not have not one of them yet on YouTube come on and say, well, it still might be a problem. Because what happens when they, it starts hitting all these satellites that are out there in space that we put out there? Could, is it possible some of them could change the trajectory of this thing as it goes plowing through them and hit the earth after all? Because when some, this thing is flying at, I think, 20 to 23,000 kilometers per hour. This thing is flying. It's fast. At that speed, anything that it hits, it's going to careen off of it. It's going to cause a greater trajectory change in something that's moving very slow. So Thomas Horn feels, and based on his dream with, you know, the Pope, which proved to be true that this thing is going to hit us. Here's something even more interesting, because, you know, of course, people are going to downplay what Thomas Horn said, even though he mentioned that about the Pope. Um, I found another article that... Tom Horn, you know, they sort of pushed him down and said, well, what you're talking about is not real. It's not going to happen. But Thomas Horn, in his defense, appealed to the pronouncements of one Billy Meyer. Meyer is the Swiss founder and the leader of a UFO religion. So, of course, everybody thinks he's cuckoo right off the back because he's a leader of a UFO religion. He said, Meyer, that he was contacted by aliens called the Pelagian. Meyer also claims to be the seventh reincarnation of seven previous prophets, Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, and Muhammad. 
So of course everybody thinks he's cuckoo. But one interesting thing that Meyer did, which makes you scratch your head and go, hmm, both Horn and another gentleman named Lear say that in 1981, Meyer prophesied that the earth would be struck by a large object on April 13, 2029. He said this in 1981. Remember, Apophis wasn't even discovered until 2004. That was 23 years. His prediction was 23 years before the actual discovery of Apophis. So now both Horn and Lear conclude that Meyer must be correct about this. There's a lot of Christians who are starting to believe it too. And it coincides with the timeline of a lot of things that are happening in this world. So I personally believe it to be true. I think it is going to hit this planet. I think Thomas Horn was given a warning in his dream by God. It's like he was given proof that the uh, Pope was going to resign. Popes, Remember, listener, Popes don't resign. There's never been a Pope that resigned. They die in office. They don't resign. This is the first Pope that ever resigned. So how could anybody see this coming, right? God saw it. God knew it. God knows everything. So those little nuggets I just gave you, and there's more. There's hundreds of pieces of data. If I had the time, I could sit here and give you that's pointing, like Sister Michelle said, to something that's coming to a theater near you real soon. Yes, no man may know at the day of the hour, but God did say in his Bible, it's up to kings and queens to seek the, not his knowledge and that we can know the season. So I think that season is going to be during the Feast of Trumpets. That's the next thing to be checked off on, on, the, on the list of great things that are going to occur um, foretelling or preceding the time or showing the time of Jesus' return. So the date, no one knows. Season, we know. So listener, whether it's true or not, whether we provided enough evidence or not, my goal was not to sway you. My goal was just to do what God wanted me to do and just give you the information. It's up to you. And what I always tell people, don't believe a word I say. Seek the knowledge of truth for yourself. Uh, what's more important is getting your life right with Jesus. That's the most important thing. If you don't want to seek the knowledge of what's going on in, on this earth in second heaven, then seek the knowledge of what God wants you to know about third heaven, which is, you know, getting yourself right with Jesus Christ. So you want him to be your Lord and Savior to forgive you of all your sins. Once you've said that prayer, Lord, I do believe that you died for my sins. You sacrificed yourself as a sacrificial lamb. You, my friend, are on your way. From that point forward, study the word. And pray fast to do everything you need to do uh, that God is going to tell you to do and teach you to do to keep yourself right with him every day. And that's what David did. David was not a perfect man. Dawu, King David. Every day he committed sin, but every day he got up and prayed for God forgiveness on his face. And that's why he went down as being one of the greatest men of God in the history of mankind. So every day we claim your faith, we claim your love for Jesus and get yourself right. Um, you guys, Brother Rod, you want to close us out? Uh, yes, I do. Um, first, I just want to thank you for that uh, lesson that you provided us, along with that additional nugget. So uh, now we, our listeners know where to go to for more 
uh, in-depth analysis on uh, the astronomy part of our show here. Uh, I want to thank Sister uh, Michelle for participating with us. And um, I, why don't you say a closing prayer and then we'll we'll wrap up this, this show. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for uh, bringing us together. As said, when two are gathered, you are with us. And dear Lord, I do feel that you were here with us tonight to help uh, inspire us to spread your good news, your words. And it could be very deflating, dear Lord, as a non-believer to hear that the world is failing, the world system is failing, countries are failing, man is failing, our plans are like a balloon with no air that's flapping to the ground compared to your magnificence and power. And that was your plan by design to show us we have to be humbled first to seek, to want to seek your face. And Lord, those of us who are wise have already made that choice. I pray that every listener that has heard this message, everybody on this planet that has not, that has not chosen you as their Lord and Savior, do so before it's too late. The whole world knows, even a, a non-believer, we all kind of know that something's not quite right, dear Lord. That not quite so right is your Holy Spirit knocking on the hearts of man to tell them, hey, the time is nigh, something is not right with this system. You need to seek my face with all of your being and existence. And those who do, dear Lord, will be saved. You gave your word. I believe your word. I want to thank you, dear Lord, for giving your word and your promise and standing on everything that you tell us that you're going to do. We're very thankful. We're very grateful that your grace has saved us all. So thank you, dear Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't say it enough. And we ask all these wonderful things that are going to occur, bad and good, based on your perspective, dear Lord, and, and have mercy on us on all the bad things. We ask these in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Amen. And uh, thank you, listener, for joining us for another episode of DBSG, Discipleship Bible Study Group, where we explore the Bible and the word that's given to us through a perspective of history, technology, science, and astronomy, as you just you have just witnessed. Um, you can further the discussion and comment on our episodes on our social media platform. Uh, we have a Facebook group. If you look up DBSG, the Discipleship Bible Study Group, you'll see where we have uh, links to all our episodes, as well as places where you can comment and you can add to the discussions that we had on our show. Uh, we strongly encourage you to visit our social media pages and to not only contribute to the conversation there, but also tell us what topics you would like for us to explore that we haven't explored already. Uh, we always enjoy coming together, picking apart the news of the day, the topics of the day, as well as the topics that Brother Fred often brings to us with enlightenment. So uh, with that said, you have a great evening and thank you very much for joining our show again. See you soon. <laughs>